Our second reading is in the Gospel of John, and it's chapter 2 and the first 12 verses. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, thanks, Roger, very much indeed. Uh, do keep uh, the passage uh, open on whatever device you're, uh, you're looking at it. Uh, let's pray before we do anything else. Father, we thank you so much for John's Gospel. We thank you for the way in which it shows us the real Jesus and invites us to understand and partake in his mission. Please teach us afresh by your spirit this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the things that uh, always surprises me is when I'm talking to somebody about reading books and someone will say that when they're reading a, a book of fiction, they love reading the last chapter first because they want to find out how the book turns out. But of course, how can you know how the book turns out or how it should turn out when you haven't met any of the characters yet? It leaves me completely for cold. But when it comes to the Bible, I know better. I know that very often looking to the end of a Bible book will tell me what the book has been about and reveal the author's intention in writing. And John's Gospel does exactly that. In chapter 20, verse 30, he writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as we come into that section of John that's sometimes called the book of signs, if you're not somebody who yet trusts in Jesus, then hopefully 
these next few sermons will help you to do that as you learn more of him through the signs that he did. And if you are trusting in Jesus, hopefully these chapters will build your confidence, strengthen your determination to know him, love him, and serve him. And have that great confidence that already you enjoy life in his name. So first of all then, we see that uh, Jesus, the Son, serves the Father alone. That's the opening four verses. The wedding is not the moment for Jesus to be revealed. Now, I'm sure for uh, many of us, this is a very familiar story. And what we need to do is to make sure that uh, we keep the focus on Jesus, and particularly on his uh, comment in verse 4, my hour has not yet come. Mary and uh, her children, including Jesus, have been invited to this wedding. It uh, may be a family member, it may be a close friend, uh, we don't know. But it's worth remembering that in those days, weddings could last up to seven days. And Jesus arrives with his friends during the festivities. Now, who's he with? Well, probably the five named disciples in chapter 1 and also John. And verse 3 tells us there's potential for embarrassment. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, this would have been a major social blunder. It was the bridegroom's responsibility to make sure that the guests were provided for throughout the celebrations. So if you've uh, had to look after a wedding recently, you'll know their ridiculous costs, won't you? Tony's probably having sleepless nights about it as we speak. Money Supermarket says... Last month, the average cost of a wedding was between 18 and 32,000 pounds. Helpfully, they added this phrase, but there are ways to cut back. So that's an encouragement, isn't it? So imagine a seven-day wedding bill. Well, anyway, Mary wants to save the host from such embarrassment, and so she approaches Jesus. But Jesus' response is not particularly warm nor welcoming, is it? And it carries an implied rebuke. Verse 4, Jesus said to a woman, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. In effect, he's saying, what do you and I have in common? You have no claims on me which would seem to be quite a, a contrast with the provision he made for Mary at his crucifixion. So here at the start of his ministry, what Jesus is showing us is that he is at the beck and call of no one except his heavenly Father. In uh, chapter 6, verse 38, and there are a number of other places in John where we could go to, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Not to do the will of my parents, my mother, my brothers, not to do the will of the religious authorities, but only to do the will 
of my Father in heaven. Now, we've already read chapter 1, and therefore we have seen who Jesus is. He's called the Lamb of God twice. He's called the Son of God twice. He's called the Messiah. He's called him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about. He's called King of Israel. He's called Son of Man. And we also know why he came. He's come to give life and light, verse 4 of chapter 1. The right to become children of God to all who believe, verse 12. To take away the sin of the world, verse 29. To baptize with the Holy Spirit, verse 33. That's who he is. That's why he's come. And here, at this insignificant wedding in Cana, that mission, that ministry begins. And there will be other occasions in the gospel when he will say, my hour is not yet come. There's a way to go before he can be fully revealed as who is for all when he dies on the cross. Then and only then can he be fully known. And so we see, don't we, how Mary's concern for the host of the wedding cannot compromise Jesus' mission, cannot compromise the timing of Jesus being known for who he really is. Mary must submit to her son. And that's what happens in verse 5. Mary said to his mother, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She recovers from the rebuke to display her trust in Jesus. Her approach as a mother is rejected, but her faith as a believer is honoured. So let's not make Mary's mistake by misunderstanding the time. I imagine that for many of us, it's our wrong expectations that cause us discontent and disappointment. We've missed out on the Champions League again. We've missed out on promotion again. I've failed to get that job I wanted. It's not the right time. Sadly, many supposedly Christian teachers have promised too much. They've promised health, wealth, happiness, and peace, the prosperity gospel, as it's known. They've told us that things that we're promised for the next life can be ours in this life. And those raised expectations have led to many a shipwreck. Great discontent, great disappointment. Try telling the Queen this morning that there is no mourning no crying, no pain today. We need to understand the times. But we also mustn't make Mary's mistake of thinking she could command Jesus. She could bring Jesus to serve her needs and wants. We must remember we are nothing more than servants of Jesus. We serve him. He doesn't serve us. And there's been a particular issue for those in church leadership in, uh, in recent days. 
just challenges as to how we lead, how we can easily manipulate people, maybe even browbeat people, particularly with our use of the Bible. After all, we've been trained and uh, not everybody has. Therefore, we're in a more powerful and stronger position when it comes to those sorts of issues. But no, we're not free to use Jesus and his words to get our own way and to manipulate other people. We're to serve this Jesus who we know from chapter one, and we're to serve the mission that he has been given. We're not to shrink him to fit our wants or desires. We're not to shrink his mission to ours. We're not called to be a religious organization caught up in rites and rituals. We're not called to be a chaplain to the state baptizing the world's agenda. No, we're called to proclaim a Jesus who gave his life for the sins of the world. We're called to serve one who is never less than all of those titles piled up together. His mission to bring life and forgiveness through his death. Our mission to serve him by taking that message to a needy world. So let's follow Mary's example and submit ourselves to his will and to serve Jesus the Son as he serves his heavenly Father. Let's uh, go on then to uh, verses five, uh, 6 to 11. Jesus the bridegroom provides for his people. Uh, the wine points us to the heavenly banqueting banquet. Uh, the miracle is performed, so uh, John says in verse 11. Jesus manifested his glory. This then is the glory we heard about in chapter 1, the glory as of the only Son from the Father in verse 14. And what he does here is one of the greater things in verse 50 of uh, chapter 1. But I don't know about you, but don't you find this all a bit underwhelming? Where are the crowds? Where are the religious and political leaders to be wowed by what Jesus does and cause to believe and trust in him. This miracle is only experienced by a few servants and the disciples. The rest of the wedding guests haven't got a clue what's going on. And it's the bridegroom who gets the credit for what has happened. Verse 9, the master of the, bridegroom, master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept this good wine until now. The servants only see the sign. They don't see its significance. Only his disciples, those who've already been with him, they are the ones. End of verse 11, his disciples believed in him. But John says this is the first of his signs. Verse 11. Now, first could just mean it came first before the others, but it could mean 
primacy. It could mean it's the most important of his signs. But can it really be that? Just giving more wine for a wedding feast? It all seems, as I say, a bit underwhelming. But just look on to verse 29 of uh, chapter 3 for a moment. John the Baptist is uh, speaking. I'll read from verse 28. You yourselves hear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John points to Jesus now and says, he is the bridegroom, which is picking up uh, an Old Testament way of, of talking about the Lord God. In the New Testament, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is bride. Revelation 19, blessed are those invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the end time messianic banquet to which Isaiah 25 was returning, the feast he writes about there. It's celebrated in many Old Testament passages, and uh, Amos uh, chapter 9 is another. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. This is the glory of the Messiah, the glory of the Son, the glory of Jesus, reflected from that wedding day to this one here in John chapter 2. The sign that Jesus does here points us forward to that glorious reality. You see, the promise in Amos, the mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. In other words, there's going to be a superabundance. No chance of running out. Nobody's going to say they have no more wine. Well, if you've got a footnote, you will see how big these jars were. And a bit of rough calculation. If you take a, a lower figure, I think you get to about 500 litres of wine. Now, 70 centilitre bottle, that's about 700 bottles, isn't it? Roughly speaking. Six glasses a bottle. I know that's a crazy estimate for some of us. Six glasses a bottle. 4,200 glasses. The wedding's already started. It's some way on. I think we can safely say Jesus has overcated, can't we? But you see, that's the point. Hills running with sweet wine. Jesus' miracle provides a superabundance, not just enough. And that is true of Jesus' miracles in general. Think of the feeding miracles. Think of how many baskets were left after everybody had eaten and been satisfied. Think of Lazarus being raised from the tomb. Jesus deliberately waited until he'd been in the day, tomb for four days. He was a stinking corpse before Jesus raised him from the dead. That's what Jesus does. And remember also, here, it's not just superabundant quantity. 
It's also superabundant quality. You've kept the good wine until now. The best possible. Grand Cru Plus. A wine searcher told me, but I'm sure this will be common knowledge to most of you, the most expensive wine is Domaine Leroy Moussigny Grand Cru Côte de Nuit. French, if you weren't realising that. Uh, average price, £23,671 a bottle. Highest price ever paid for it, just over £100,000 a bottle. But you see, however much we may be willing to pay for a bottle of wine, you can't put a price on the super redundant quality of the wine Jesus made for this wedding. So here we see the glory of the sun going completely over the top in providing for this wedding because he's pointing to another wedding. He's pointing to the great wedding banquet of the Lamb, the messianic feast at the end of time. But the glory of the sun is also seen in his repurposing of the stone jars. Look at uh, verse 6. There were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. But of course, now Jesus has come, they are no longer needed for that purpose, are they? Chapter 1, he's been introduced to us as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All who turn to Jesus will be fit for his kingdom and invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These jars are no longer needed for purification, so they can be used for celebration. So I wonder, where are you looking for purification? How are you trying to remove that stain of uh, selfishness and wrongdoing? That burden of guilt. How are you seeking to lift that? Uh, David Williams, the uh, comedian and author actor, he sought atonement by swimming the channel. What will you do? What are you trying to do? How are you trying to be clean. And how do you plan to get your invitation to this end time event? Uh, there are no tickets available on StubHub, on Eventbrite, or on Ticketmaster. You'll have to look somewhere else. They're just not available. Nobody can help you get one. Because purification and invitation only come by putting your trust in this Jesus. And that's what his followers do, isn't it? That's the end of verse 11. And his disciples believed in him. They've heard John talk about Jesus. They've met and heard Jesus. And now they experience the miracle of water being turned into wine. And they see beyond the sign. They see more of who Jesus is. And so, they believed in him. The sign points us to Jesus, the
the bridegroom, the one who will provide completely for his people, both in purification, making them fit for his presence in eternity, and also by inviting them to this wedding, the greatest wedding ever. So if you're sitting here as a a believer in Jesus this morning, then be assured you have the invitation. You cannot, you will not miss out. All the preparations have been made. No one and nothing will be missing. Because Jesus provides for his people. So we know why John wrote. We know what he wants from us. We know that because of who Jesus is and what he does, he makes purification and he invites us to this greatest event. So let's be those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And whether you're starting to do that in 2021, or whether you're continuing to do it after many, many years, and be confident that by believing, we have life in his name for now and for all eternity. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the complete provision that Jesus has made. Please may we know his cleansing. Please may we look forward to that great wedding day. And please may we take on Jesus' mission and be partners with him in bringing many to knowing that cleansing and receiving that invitation. And these things we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.